Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. This holiday season, add some sizzle to your holiday gift giving with the Kansas City Steak Company. The most tender, world-class premium steaks delivered right to your door. Take 15% off and free shipping right now at kansascitysteaks.com. Use promo code DR15. You know poop is coming, but you know you have nothing to fear. New Pamper Swaddlers with Blowout Barrier helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Fear no leaks with Pamper Swaddlers. And download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers Cash. Redeem your Pampers Cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Click or tap the link now to learn more. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Redeem Pampers Cash, no cash value. American Border Patrol officer was injured. All four border crossing bridges in the area have now been closed. It comes on one of the busiest travel days of the year where there are heightened concerns about possible terrorist attacks. The FBI and a host of investigators from both the U.S. and Canada are at the scene now to investigate the cause of the incident. We'll speak to multiple national security experts throughout the hour about what happened and what comes next. This also comes as Israel and Hamas agree to a four-day ceasefire that will pause the fighting in Gaza and allow the release of at least 50 hostages. We'll take you live to Israel with the latest. Thanks for being here with us on The Hill. I'm Mike Vicara, joined today by Chris Steyerwalt, News Nation political editor and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, Ashley Davis, former George W. Bush White House and Homeland Security official, Scott Bolden, former D.C. Democratic Party chairman, and Morgan Ortegas, former State Department spokeswoman under the Trump administration. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. Okay, we're going to start the show with the breaking news from the U.S.-Canada border. A car erupting in a violent explosion at the Rainbow Bridge in Niagara Falls. At this moment, we don't know precisely how it happened or why. The White House is, quote, closely monitoring the situation. So quickly, let's go now to the panel on what happened earlier today. We'll start with you, Morgan. What does this look like to you A big scare on the day before Thanksgiving. Definitely. And it made me remember, as I was thinking about what sides I'm cooking tomorrow, (laughs) that law enforcement and thanks for laughing, guys. Um, My mashed potatoes are going to be good. All right. But in all seriousness, law enforcement, first responders, uh, FBI, others, uh, while we are all cooking tomorrow and getting ready to spend the day with our families, these people are on heightened alert around, uh, around the country. And certainly we know New York State specifically was already on heightened alert. I think that's why you saw it was reported that the bomb 
some technicians at the scene thought it may have been explosives. They are now walking it back. Uh-huh. Uh, the governor of New York, she originally, she initially put her uh, terrorism task force on notice. She activated them. She tweeted that. And so you saw a lot of activity from the government treating it as if it was a terror attack, which makes sense because everybody's on such heightened uh, alert, especially after the FBI director sure. testified yesterday. Absolutely. Now, now uh, Ashley, I want to go to you because you actually were employee one, the first employee at the Department of Homeland and Security for the Bush administration. Uh, you've seen a lot, obviously, uh, over the course of your career. Uh, there are a lot of conflicting reports here. The car was going 100 miles an hour. It may have been going from the U.S. to Canada, which has all kinds of implications, instead of vice versa. How do you look like it? How is law enforcement approaching this? How is the administration approaching this? Well, I, I, I've been saying this for the last couple of days because I felt the simmer. I'm sure we all have. Um, with what CBP came out with even a couple of weeks ago was saying how many people are coming across the border that are from various countries that um, are not friendly to the United States. Sorry, I know you're going to get mad at that comment. And I just cleared my throat. <laughs> Naturally. And then also, um, there's a, yesterday with um, the governor coming out and say there was a terrorist, heightened terrorist yeah. threat. And so then today, this actually reminds me, and Chris and I were just looking at each other earlier, back um, after 9-11 when we were just starting the White House Office of Homeland Security. This was like 2002, 2003 that the Buffalo 6 or Lackawanna 6, I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember that, sure. where we were actually able to stop that terrorist plot. Yeah. However, because it's on the border, because, I mean, just where you are, right, they are right now, there's four places that you can come over on that border. Right, all have been closed right and now. And so, I mean, this is not, unfortunately, is not shocking me at all today. And okay. I think the, the, the country's just simmering. Okay, I want to remind everybody that Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, we're expecting to hear from her any minute now in just a couple of minutes. I want to bring in our News Nation Washington correspondent, uh, Kelly Meyer, who's standing by at the White House. Kelly, very quickly, I know you've just spoken to a person, a senior administration official. What can you tell us about how the White House is reacting to this incident? Well, Vic, they're really um, not sharing too much information right now. They say they just don't have it. They say they don't have any indication one way or the other and that they're not ruling anything out, meaning they don't know if it was or was not terrorism. So they are continuing to closely monitor this, as we said, watching what law enforcement is getting and collecting that information as they investigate this. But they're letting them do their jobs and then coming back around with more information. But uh, we know the president himself is in Nantucket for the Thanksgiving holidays, and we won't hear from him again. We're not expected to, at least uh, later tonight. We're not supposed to hear from him at all. And we know that the president is monitoring the situation. What has the White House told us about other administration officials? What kind of comment are they making at all about this situation? We know that they're looking at it closely. We know uh, that there is no clear evidence one way or the other about the intention of the, these people in this car, these two people who are now apparently dead, uh, having gone airborne, according to a lot of the, the, the eyewitness accounts and some of the photographic evidence that we've already seen from the scene. Uh, tell us precisely what they, what they tell us the president is doing uh, as he's in Nantucket as this situation unfolds. Yeah, they're saying that he's just monitoring this. We know that the president has been making calls throughout the day on a separate issue. Obviously, we've been following the hostage deal. So he's been making calls to leaders uh, in Egypt and Qatar. Uh, but as far as this, they just are saying that they're monitoring it. You know, I spoke with uh, the National Security Co- Coordinator spokesperson, uh, John Kirby, here, saying that he spoke with uh, NSC 
Jake Sullivan and that they just continue to uh, follow the situation closely but aren't revealing any other details yet or uh, if they know of that at all. You know, we just heard from Senate, Senator Schumer, the majority leader on Capitol Hill, um, saying that he was briefed by the FBI and says, yeah. quote, nothing's been determined on their identity or motive. So a lot so, of information still unknown at this hour, Vic. Absolutely. A lot of questions out there. Uh, Gentlemen, Scott, Chris, I'm going to go quickly to our guest here since we may hear from the governor very quickly. And joining us now for more insight is the former Homeland Security Department advisor and the CEO of Sentinel Security Solutions. His name is Charles Marino. And we thank you, Charles, for being with us today in this breaking news situation. You're also the author of a new book entitled Terrorists on the Border and in Our Country. Let me just ask you, at first blush here, given the sketchy details and the conflicting reports, what do you make of what's happening there on the Rainbow Bridge at Niagara Falls? Yeah, I mean, I think we need to first explore the backdrop, which uh, why has it has all of us looking at a possible terrorism here. It's the United States has never faced more threats from more places at any time in our history uh, against the backdrop of open borders. Uh, our southwest and, and northern borders are seeing increases in special interest aliens from locations of concern. We're seeing increases of those on the terrorist watch list. And we're seeing uh, conflicts in the Middle East uh, involving two terrorist organizations and more, uh, Hamas and Hezbollah, proxies of Iran. And uh, we know that the threat level is elevated here in the United States. The FBI Director Ray has stated so publicly in front of Congress, describing our current threat level as at a whole nother level. So uh, there's a lot of concerns here. Uh, and unfortunately, we don't have a specific conclusion yet. Uh, as to whether this was deliberate or tied to terrorism. Uh, but right now, it doesn't look good. You talked about the southern border, and we hear periodically about uh, the security threats coming from the northern border as well. Uh, can you describe the situation there? Obviously not as in the same crisis stage, I think it's safe to say, as a southern border, but still a porous border with plenty of vulnerabilities. Yeah, still very concerning. We're, we're seeing the numbers uh, in the areas that we're concerned with that I just described go up on par with those that we're seeing on the southwest border. Uh, we're seeing numbers up almost 800 percent in general of Chinese nationals. Uh, and we're seeing uh, encounters from locations the same of which we're seeing at the southwest border. Um, so let's understand that these threats can come in. Uh, through both borders, uh, and we need to recognize that. And that's why you need consistency in a border enforcement strategy and immigration enforcement to stay consistent. Uh, and otherwise, there's no deterrence at either one of our borders. And that's the situation right now. There's too many unknown unknowns. We've got gotaways at 2 million. Uh, we don't know the backgrounds of many of these people. And then let's not forget we also have many people that avoid detection altogether, and we have no idea what those numbers are. So, look, it's not a good environment for us to be in right now uh, where people are, are walking around prior to the holidays, attending large events and being so rightfully concerned about the level of threat in our country right now. Now, on the southern border, we've seen the video of migrants coming across the river, swimming across the river, forming human uh, human chains. And on the northern border, you know, there's, it's largely rural, forested. But this is different. This is people, two people evidently in a car, perhaps going from the United States to the Canadian side, uh, traveling at a reported 100 miles an, 100, 
Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Marino, we're going to pause right here okay. uh, and go to New York, where the governor is about to speak about this unfolding situation. Uh, and here's the governor right now, Kathy Hochul. Good afternoon. I just returned from the scene of a horrific accident that led to a high-level anxiety all the way from western New York to Albany to Washington. But before I describe the details, I want to be very, very clear to Americans and New Yorkers. At this time, there is no indication of a terrorist attack. Let me repeat that. At this time, there is no indication of a terrorist-involved attack here at the Rainbow Bridge in Western New York. At 11.27 this morning, a car going at a very high rate of speed crashed into a median at Niagara Street just minutes from here. It's in the city of Niagara Falls, near one of the border crossings into Canada, the Rainbow Bridge. There are four border crossings here in Western New York. This is one of the busiest crossings not just in Western York, but along the entire U.S.-Canadian border. And it happens on the busiest travel day of the year. So naturally, in a time of heightened alert, everyone's spring into action. It crashed into a Customs and Border Patrol booth, and the car and the booth immediately exploded. Burst into flames. I saw the video of an airborne vehicle that was absolutely surreal. You actually had to look at it and say, was this generated by AI? Because it was so surreal to see how high in the air this vehicle went, and then the crash, and the explosion, and the fire. That video will be released very shortly. As I said, we're not aware of any threats to this area. But I state the caveat that the investigation is ongoing. If you can imagine, this vehicle basically incinerated. Nothing is left but the engine. The pieces are scattered over 13, 14 booths. So it is a large scene, and it's going to take a lot of time for our federal law enforcement partners, who are with me here today and I'll identify, to be able to piece together the real story to identify the make of the car. Obviously, there is not a license plate. I've been briefed by law, law enforcement for the last hour. New York State Police, Colonel Andy Crow, Colonel Allen, other law enforcement officials. I've been joined by Andy Bowker, who's the special agent in charge of the Customs and Border Patrol. I was also briefed by the SAC from the FBI. Also is on the phone with Secretary of Homeland Security Mayorkas. The FBI Director Christopher Bray has reached out. The White House has reached out. My staff has been in communication with all of them. I spoke with Senator Schumer, Senator Gillibrand, Congressman Higgins, local law enforcement, as well as local elected officials, because the world is watching to find out what happened here. And again, at a time when there's such high anxiety, stress levels are already high. And we've been on heightened alert since October 7th. That's why it's so important for me to stand here and tell the world based on what we know at this moment. And again, anything can change. There is no sign of terrorist activity with respect to this crash. We've identified that this is a local individual. 
a Western New Yorker. Two individuals died in the, the vehicle. The Border Patrol individual working in the booth was injured. The booth literally protected that individual. They went to the hospital with minor injuries and have been released. There is also, again, the busiest travel day of the year, there is a major disruption. And first of all, our cross-border travel. Right now, the Rainbow Bridge will remain closed while law enforcement continues investigation. Again, this is a large, widely scattered scene, and we're trying to identify all the elements to make sure that there is no unforeseen uh, situations that we need to address before we can open again to the public. We're going to make sure the public is safe before they go back on the Rainbow Bridge. Also made sure the, the structural integrity of the booths. Also very important, our state DOT be involved in that as well. The Whirlpool Bridge and Lewiston Queensland Bridge opening early this evening, probably open by now. Can anybody confirm that? Yeah. We're open now. Okay. They are open now. There's been a lot of people trying to get across. I appreciate that. Uh, the Peace Bridge, which was open, has already op reopened half an hour ago. For those traveling by train, unfortunately, Amtrak has temporarily suspended its cross-border service between New York State and Canada. And the Buffalo Airport, despite early reports, the Buffalo Airport was never closed and everything is normal. Domestic flights are still active. Uh, there has been no cessation in service there. What I want to do at this time is extend my extreme gratitude to all of our partners, Customs and Border Patrol, Homeland Security, FBI, our state police, local sheriffs, Niagara County, Erie County, all stepped up to assist in trying to identify what exactly transpired here beginning at 11.27 a.m. this morning. They gave up their time from their families. They showed up. They reminded us that there are people who put on a uniform every single day, put themselves in harm way. The people out there on that bridge, in the immediate aftermath of what happened, unknown, the source, the cause of this explosion, were out there doing their jobs. So I want to pause to give them just the gratitude of a governor and 20 million New Yorkers who sleep better at night because of their willingness to do this. They run toward danger. They should be with their families today, but they will not be. This investigation will go on for a number of days, and that's why we will not have any further answers uh, at this time as to the individuals involved, the deceased, uh, any motivation, and there's a lot, of, a lot of unanswered questions. But at this time, we just need to dial down the temperature right now. And that's what I plan to do as governor, just let everybody know. All is well. We're investigating. More information could arise, but based on the preliminary investigation, no sign of terrorist involvement in the horrific explosion that occurred here in western New York. Any questions? Governor Hochul, can you explain what you're basing that determination on, that there was no terrorist activity here and instead calling this a horrific accident? That's based on my briefings with experienced law enforcement, with the FBI, Homeland Security, and the Customs of Border Protection. Uh, they, are, uh, they brought experts. They're still analyzing this, but there's been no indication based on any online threats, anyone taking credit for anything, all the usual areas you look to identify, whether or not there's a group involved at this time. At this time, You're going to hear me say this at this time right. a dozen times because it is still unfolding, but I didn't want to leave the public un with a lot more anxiety than they need to have at this time. So there's just, I just want to be perfectly clear, there is no evidence to show at this time that this was a terrorist activity. There is no evidence at this time that this was a terrorist activity. And that's what I want to make very clear to the public. 
just to calm everybody down. It's really important because uh, based on what's happening in other parts of the world, everybody is on edge. And this is an international border. And we've always felt the vulnerability there. But this was a, a you know, I won't call it an accident. It's not been determined to be an accident. Uh, you don't know whether the, intent, the driver was intentional in how they drove. We do not know that. All I know is there was a horrific accident. I won't call it an accident. Horrific incident, a crash, an explosion, loss of life, but at this time, no known terrorist connection. Okay, there you hear the governor of New York saying it's neat. We need to dial down the temperature. No evidence at this time. She said it several times that this was a terror attack. And certainly that is welcome news, not only in New York, but across the country as we head into Thanksgiving, really dialing down the temperature. She says it was a local individual behind the wheel of uh, the car burst into flame. She described the video that she saw and will be released shortly as surreal almost an AI reenaction of a car soaring through the air. Uh, So a horrific accident uh, for sure, at least that's the way it seems right now. But again, at this time, with the caveat at this time, no indication of a terrorist attack. Uh, I turn to the panel now, Scott, um, uh, obviously a relief, but still a a reminder that, you know, the country is on edge. Yeah, a couple takeaways Uh, as a former New York state prosecutor. uh, A couple things. One, They've got to secure this location. They've got to collect evidence. And the license plate of the car is no longer available. Uh-huh, obliterated. Is it, bur- yeah. it burned up, if you will. So the, the heat and the intense, you may have burned up a lot of evidence also. It's interesting that they knew it was a local uh, Western New York uh, mm-hmm. driver. Uh, but what about the second driver? Uh, but if they know who the driver is, they're at his or her apartment, house, right. interviewing friends right now to see whether this was a case of mental illness. Yeah. Uh, or was or was this individual someone who was right. radicalized? Right. Well, okay. So we're we're not out of the woods yet. Good but point. This is good. This is good information, and the governor ought to be out front. Okay. We're going to have to get to a break soon, but I want to give Chris a quick chance to react to what you've heard there. Uh, I leave it to these expert ladies uh, <laughs> and, and the prosecutor with their good experience. Okay. All right. That's very. Very nice of you, sir. We're following following big developments today in Israel after a deal was reached to free dozens of hostages currently held by Hamas. We're live with the latest from Tel Aviv with The Hill when News Nation returns. And welcome back in Israel today. We are learning more details on that deal to release hostages. The when, the who, the how many. And the what next? Robert Sherman is live in Tel Aviv with reporting on what is on the table. Robert. Hey there, Mike. This just coming in a couple of minutes ago from the Israelis, but they say that we can expect that hostage release process to begin on Friday now. That's a delay compared to Thursday, which is when we initially thought that this was going to be happening here. We don't know the reason for the change in dates there, but that is coming from the Israelis just a few minutes ago, that that's what we can expect. In terms of what the deal will look like, we anticipate that the terms are going to look the same. 50 hostages to be released in exchange for a four-day pause, as well as a release of Palestinian prisoners here as well. And it's important to understand the push and pull that we've been seeing here in Israel over the last couple of days. There are some in Israel who believe a pause of any kind will work to Hamas's benefit too much, and no deal should have been cut. 
On the other hand, there are some who believe any life that can be saved, any hostage that can be released, is worth is worth having that discussion and cutting a deal of that capacity there. So that's what you've seen as the political pressure that's been on the ground here. Now, that being said, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu emphasizing that the war is not over. Things will be picking back up after this pause comes to an end. And they do, and, and they do say that one of their main objectives is to destroy Hamas. That has not changed, according to what we've heard from them. The last thing for you, the big question we still have is exactly who is going to be released in this hostage deal. We know it's going to be women and children, but we don't know who is on that list. Even families say they don't even know. But you have a lot of people here desperately waiting to get that phone call that they're hoping and praying for. Mike? Well, Robert, thank you very much. And they're going to be desperately waiting for another day, according to the breaking news you just brought us, a delay of a day in that hostage, hostage exchange. Thank you, Robert. So with us now is Adam Bowler. He was an Abraham Accords negotiator and a former Taliban negotiator. Uh, Robert, um, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, I'm sorry, Adam. Uh, first of all, a delay of a day. Does that give you pause? Should we, should we be concerned about this deal and, and the strength of this deal and whether it's actually going to go through? You know, I think at the end of the day, these deals are super complex, and I'm sure there's a lot of logistics. You've got a lot of folks in tunnels um, and people that need to be released, and so... I probably am guessing it's logistics. I don't know, but that's my best guess on it. Well, what do you make of the deal as a whole from the details that you have heard, given the fact that, as Robert just said, we don't know exactly who is going to be released uh, on either side, frankly? I think it's a really difficult deal. Um, And these are the difficult decisions that you face when you negotiate with terrorists. I think at the end of the day, a few things. One is it's possible because Israel has Hamas on the back heels. That's why they're doing that. They do what is self-interesting to them. I think it's going to give Hamas a chance to regroup over the four days. At the end of the day, you're talking about 50 people, though, um, and families that are anxiously waiting. I can't imagine what that's like right now. Um, So I tend to err in favor of doing it. Um, I think that's Israel's decision, and I support it. Um, But it's difficult. There will be costs associated with it. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you about Iran's foreign ministry. He arrived in Lebanon earlier today after one of the most violent days yet along Lebanon's southern border with Israel. Uh, how close are we to this conflict spreading? And I know this has been the fear since October 7th, but into a wider regional conflict. I think it's unlikely, mainly because Iran's not that strong. Um, I think they're going to make noises like they always do. Iran works through proxies. Um, because they're too afraid to come up right against us. And you see it in what happened when we took out al-Salamani. They didn't react in a very direct way. They shot a missile. It didn't hurt anybody. So think of them as kind of the bully that makes a lot of noise, that instigates others and gets other people in trouble, but doesn't punch back. So I don't think it's likely. I think you'd already see more action with Hezbollah. Um, But I think they're going to be instigating constantly behind the scenes. Wow. A fascinating situation unfolding there and fraught every minute. Adam Bowler, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. Happy Thanksgiving to you, sir. All right, I want to turn now to our panel and get some reaction into uh, what's happening on the ground in Israel. That delay, I don't know, what Robert just startled us with or uh, broke uh, just a minute ago, sort of gives you pause, Morgan. Yeah, uh, 
I agree with Adam that there is so much always going back and forth uh, in these deals. Um, what really matters, I think, ultimately is getting these children home. It matters so much to the Israelis. Yeah. It matters to Americans, right? We know at least uh, one one of the American hostages is a three-year-old girl who may be turning four soon. I have a three-year-old daughter. Um, and as much as we worry about the precedent that it sets with having basically three to one uh, Palestinians released, and, and again, it's not innocent Palestinians yeah. that are being released. It's Palestinians who have been charged, uh, who have been, uh, you know, charged with violent crime or have been involved with terrorism. And of course, these are innocent Israelis who are doing nothing but enjoying their Saturday morning, not only their Saturday morning, their Shabbat morning, yeah. and, and it was a, a Jewish holiday as well. Politically, from the perspective of Israeli politicians, I don't know how you could keep your head on in Israel if you don't get these children home, if yeah. you don't get these women home. So yeah. they have to do that. Does it set a bad precedent, uh, ha- releasing so many Palestinians? Does it incentivize that behavior? Uh, perhaps, right. but I think Israel is going to do whatever they can to get their children home. An incredibly difficult situation, clearly. Um, Chris, let me ask you, the president is under an intense amount of criticism for being too soft on Iran, uh, for putting too much pressure on Israel to try to walk that fine line between the base of his party that is concerned about what's happening in Gaza and the bombing uh, and those who uh, feel as though Israel is completely justified. How do you think that the White House is playing this, and will this have implications for the president's support? Does Does it put him in a difficult position? Well, it depends on how it goes. Um, the, we're still uh, almost a year away from the election and whether or not this is still ongoing. You know, uh, we've talked on this show many times before about the need for speed. Uh, Biden is taking an extraordinary political risk by being so full-throated in his support for Israel. Um, I, Republicans are not going to give him any credit. They're not going to say uh, this guy's doing a great job. But the price he's paying is really with Democrats, right? And yeah. The price he's paying is really with younger Democrats who uh, this is they do not like what he's doing and they object strongly. So Biden is taking a big risk here in doing so by dispiriting the base of his party. So he's heavily invested in results and he's heavily invested in, in bringing this to a to a, as quick a conclusion as possible. Yeah, well, well, we all hope for that. OK, thank you very much. And Morgan, thank you very much. Uh, Coming up, more on that car explosion that happened on a bridge connecting the U.S. and Canada near Niagara Falls. We'll speak to a retired FBI agent about how the investigation will be handled. That's next here on The Hill. Welcome back to The Hill. Let's get back to that car explosion at our northern border. New York Governor Kathy Hochul just gave an update moments ago saying there is no indication of a terrorist attack. She said it was a local driver from upstate New York behind the wheel there. She described a violent explosion uh, and a car in flight on that Rainbow Bridge. And joining us now for more insight is the former FBI special agent and News Nation law and justice contributor, Jennifer Coffendaffer. Jennifer, thank you very much for joining us. So what do you make of the governor's statement there? Is this the end of it? Can we all breathe a giant sigh of relief? I think we can. Uh, As news reports were coming in uh, at the end of the afternoon, we started to see that this was actually seemingly an accident where someone had accelerated to a large uh, rate of speed, maybe even 100 miles an hour, hit hit a uh, cement uh, barrier, if you will, and then propelled himself up. And then that crash caused that huge incendiary explosion. So, yes, thankfully, it turned out the best it could, I think, in terms of not being a terrorism attack. 
And so what is it? What do you what have we learned by the reaction from law enforcement? Everybody from the president to the governor to local law enforcement to the prime minister of Canada has reacted to this. Uh, Everybody obviously on edge here as we head into a busy holiday weekend, a busy travel weekend. Uh, What does that tell us about the state, the heightened alert in this country and in Canada, for that matter, as we head into the holidays? Well, I think certainly uh, based on the state of the situation in terms of Hamas and his Hezbollah and what's happening in Israel, it's just a heightened uh, sense of, of concern. And with Director Ray coming out and saying, listen, there's been a lot of chatter and there is a heightened sense of terrorism that could be uh, forthcoming. We're certainly all on edge. So I think they took the appropriate measures. They got to a resolution fairly quickly, and then they disseminated that information to the public as soon as they could. And Jennifer, what else is law enforcement going to be investigating there before they can finally say that this was not a terrorist attack, that this was some sort of horrific accident? Well, I think they're certainly going to be looking at all of the information gleaned from that crash site. They're going to have to look at exactly exactly how that car propelled. They're going to also be looking at these individuals. Who were they? Uh, where did they come from? Where were they going? And they're going to be looking at their cellular communication. Were there any text messages that looked like there was anything <clears throat> nefarious going on? And I think yeah. they'll be able to put this to bed. Okay, Jennifer Koffendaffer, thank you very much for joining us on Thanksgiving Eve, and I hope you have a great holiday tomorrow. Thanks. Have a blessed Thanksgiving. Okay. All right, you too. Uh, Ashley, I want to turn to you, former Homeland Security uh, officer, employee one at Homeland Security. Um, what do you, <laughs> what do you make of Hochul's you? Sta- you statement? I mean, can, can we breathe that sigh of relief? I, I just am not quite there yet. I really? think we've been talking about this. I mean, obviously, that's what we want. I, I'm just having flashbacks of the shoe bomber in 2003, yeah. or I think that's what the year it was, where everyone was like, oh, it's just one person. He is connected to nobody. And you have to calm the public down, mm-hmm. which is what she did and she's trying to do, which I completely understand. Then we find out later all the connections the shoe bomber had. So I'm just probably a little bit more skeptical than most just because of my background. Um, but then you have to remember, remember when the plane went down in Queens right after mm-hmm. sure. September 11th, like November 2001, and everyone thought that was another terrorist attack and it was just a an accident. So, but one thing that Scott said during break is much makes true. I mean, they have to be already in these people's phones and their houses, sure. looking at their computers. I mean, obviously there is some of the, the Patriot Act that's still in place that you're able to do that. But, um, for now, for now, yeah. but I think that that's probably why she has been able to come out and say something right. strong. But she also left the door open that... Right. She didn't completely rule it out, but she said there's no indication as of this moment. So... But if I were her, I would, before I said that, yeah. just from a political perspective, that she had made sure that she had backing from yeah. the people that... She, she perhaps knew things from law enforcement that she course. didn't divulge in public. Okay. We got to go. I'll leave it there. Coming up, Hope in Hawaii, three months after the deadly wildfire. People on Maui are staying positive about the future, how the rebuilding process is coming along, and the support coming in from across the world. My interview with the Hawaii governor, Josh Green, after the break. Okay, three months after the wildfires that devastated the island community, Maui is reopening to tourism. Hawaii Governor Josh Green has declared that all of West Maui, except for the historic Lahaina, is officially open to the public. 
This is in an effort to bring back badly needed tourism and to help the local economy recover. I recently spoke with the governor of Hawaii, Josh Green, about how the Aloha State is doing. Aloha, Governor. Thank you for joining us on this Thanksgiving Eve. Let me ask you, it's been more than three months since the deadly Hawaii wildfires swept through Lahaina, and some residents say that they are no lo- there are no long-term housing plans for people who have lost everything and that they feel like refugees from their own homes. What's being done to help them? So we're in discussions to get a large number of the short-term rentals converted to long-term rentals. And my hope is that we will also construct over a thousand small units like ADUs, alternative dwelling units, to help house people long term. We have to build housing because no matter what, we're short on inventory. But right now we're humbly humbly asking people who do Airbnbs to kind of convert over to long term rentals. That would be paid for with uh, state dollars and federal dollars. But we want people to be able to come out of the uh, out of the hotels. We've all seen the pictures of the the incredible devastation after that wildfire. It's still hard to believe some three months later. What can you tell us about the people that lost their homes and their homes in particular? Are they are they is there any reparable damage? Is, Is there any chance of anybody moving back into some of those dwellings? Almost no chance. There were 3,700 units that were destroyed, and right now we're getting all of the toxic profiles of the ash. The ash Mm. was quite laden with heavy metals, so that will be cleaned up over the course of a year. We've actually just finished doing all of the residential area, clearing out what the EPA had to do to get it um, kind of detoxified, but that leaves the uh, heavy debris, and that takes six to nine months from the Army Corps of Engineers to clear out. Those pictures that you see, that will essentially be all cleared out with the exception of just a tiny number of homes that miraculously survived. What we hope is is that once we remove the debris, as long as uh, the toxins are minimal, that we begin to give people permits to put um, temporary structures back on some of their land until they can build their homes completely. Mind you, there were 561 uh, families that both owned and were living on their properties. Everyone else was renting, and we're doing our best to, to get extra inventory, but it's hard. So those people in the temporary housing, those accessory dwelling units, as they're called, ADUs, they're not going to be in Lahaina Town specifically. Uh, where, how will they live? Where will they work? What kind of transportation will they have to go about their lives? Well, I authorize $100 million in what's called TANF monies, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, so people can access that as much as they possibly need whenever they're short. And we'll continue to enhance that fund as needed. Uh, We have $480 million statewide that's been placed there over time, so that will help. Uh, The the ADUs, if that's the ultimate plan, could be anywhere in Maui. They already are authorized by the county council to do that, and some people uh, will put those up and they'll be long-term solutions kind as rental units but when you see this kind of devastation rebuilding an entire town will take a long time and that has to be kind of with the blessing of the people of Lahaina and we're just not there yet that's incredible so there was a lot of talk about people taking advantage some people some bad actors of the situation speculators essentially buying up land from locals is this real have you seen this happening well, I put a prohibition on that. So we put a moratorium on any, um, I guess, solicitations from anybody outside of Lahaina. They would face a $5,000 fine for each solicitation and up to a year in jail. So that's kind of put a wet blanket on that kind of behavior. Plus, they'd have to be crazy to go into a circumstance where they'll still 
you know, need us to permit it. And if we don't like what we see, if someone steals the land from our local people, they're yeah. going to be hard pressed to get a permit. So we're going to be serious about that. This is about uh, local kind of rights and land use rights. And we're very keen on keeping that in local families' hands. Great. And so cause of the fire still has not been publicly identified anyway. And given the continuing dry con- conditions there, uh, concerns that another devastating wildfire could strike the island. What steps are you taking to make sure that that doesn't happen? So what we did is we updated, of course, our sirens uh, warning system. We also have spotters up now. So anytime there's any uh, red flag warnings, which means high winds and dry conditions, we have extra spotters up both from the company, the energy company, HECO, and from our public side, too. Uh, So we're doing that. I do intend to ask people to allow me to increase tax revenue probably through uh, travel taxes in one form or another so that we can have a fire mitigation uh, operational budget. We have to do that across the country because of global warming, in my opinion. These are important things. Uh, We lost 100 uh, beautiful people and $5 billion of property uh, because a fire was able to roll through with a big storm. And so that's going to happen everywhere if we're not careful. All right, Governor, uh, of course, Thanksgiving is tomorrow. And I'd like to ask you, if I could, to look into your heart. In the midst of the challenges faced by the people of Maui this holiday season, what can people there look for that will give them a reason for hope this year? Well, the hope is that all of our people are coming together, every local business, every local family, even countries around the world. uh, I was in Japan last week, have sent their love and resources to us. We will have enough resources to help people rebuild. And we are not going to allow people to take advantage, not predatory buyers, not uh, legal teams that would come and take large hunks of any settlements. We're going to stand up for local people. Uh, That's our commitment. So that's what we're going to continue to do. The rebuilding is just uh, a slow process because it has to be done safely. I wish we could build this minute, but we have to be uh, mindful of environmental health. But we're not going to let land be taken from people. So we'll be there for them. Well, Governor Green, thank you. Mahalo and happy Thanksgiving. Appreciate your time today. You too. Thank you for concerns. All right. <clears throat> and coming up, we've all seen the polls pitting Biden versus Trump in a replay of 2020. But what if you throw in a third or a fourth or even a fifth party candidate? A new poll runs the numbers with Kennedy Stein and Cornell West in the mix. And the results are going to surprise you. We'll talk about that next. Welcome back. Let's turn now to the campaign trail. There's a new Emerson College poll that shows Trump leading with 42 percent support, Biden with 36 percent and RFK Jr. with 7 percent in a theoretical presidential race. Might not be that theoretical. Uh, But what really caught my eye, Christopher Steyerwalt, is uh, the fact when you throw in Kennedy at 7 percent, Cornell West at 1 percent and Jill Stein at 1 percent, it seems to bring down uh, President Biden's uh, points down, all the way down to 36 percent. You know, we heard a lot of talk that, that Kennedy in particular was going to do more damage in the polls to Trump than Biden. What do you make of it? Now, I could take a long time and I could talk about what's wrong with this poll. And I could talk about how it's methodologically. That's why you're here. I could talk about how it's methodologically dubious. And I could talk about how we don't really know and it's too soon. I could do all that, but I'm not going to do that. Oh, come on. No. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say... 
in just this little moment we have left that we got a great object lesson today in the mission of News Nation. And we got a great object lesson today in the importance of what we do. When news breaks, there's a threat, there's danger, there's concern, as we saw today on that bridge. Having aspirationally fair, well-sourced, on-the-ground, good reporting really, really matters. And I'm thankful today to be part of this organization. Uh And I'm thankful for the folks at home watching because this is how we can make a difference. Moments like this, this is how we can make a difference. So I'm really grateful. Well, And I'm thankful for your thoughtfulness, always, when you're here. Can we talk about that poll just one yeah. second? <laughs> right. yeah, it is well, a I just want to know yeah. if um, where Nikki's numbers are and how no, much no, no. she would be the, the, One Biden. of the things that you know that the poll is not uh, high quality is that it their numbers have Nikki Haley running much worse against Biden oh, than yeah, Donald okay, Trump yeah, does, yeah, while true. every other poll yeah. uh, shows Haley running better. There's, there's a lot of reasons for this, and it has to do with uh, how the poll is conducted and all this stuff. But it's certainly true. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and who, uh, oh, and the last thing on this. Mm-hmm. Biden's big problem, of course, is right now among Democrats and with young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <coughs> yes. Israel and Hamas is driving this, and I'm sure that that distorts There's some reflection of that. But it's a close race, and Joe Biden is having a bad time. Okay. We, a year Scott, out. Scott, I have to wrap it. A year. But I, I, I only have to.